HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, August 13th, and this is the 31st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing storyteller, who I will introduce shortly. But first, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be authentic. Be proud of who you are and speak your truth, regardless of what others may think. And in PR, only represent brands that you believe in. That's my policy. Sometimes we all lose sight of what's meaningful to us, and we have to remember that being genuine is always the best practice. So keep it real. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest here. It is Liza DeGia, founder and chief storyteller of Food Curated, her dream series where she provides a window into, into the lives and passions of local food artisans, farmers, fishermen, chefs, and more. Through beautiful and compelling videos, Liza captures their stories about the origins of good food. She has created over 150 mini-documentaries since 2009. She is also a four-times James Beard nominee, partner with the New York Times, and a TV host for NYC Media. Impressive. So welcome, Liza. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here, and I think this will be great because you're a storyteller, and now we get to tell your story a bit, right? I know, something I don't get to do very often, actually. <laughs> and I like your PR tip, by the way. Thank you. Being authentic is so important to me, and I really seek that out for my stories and in my storytelling. So I think it's a wonderful thing to tell people to be genuine. 
Thanks. I get inspired by my guests sometimes when I come <laughs> up with my tips. And I wasn't. I was. I, I came. I was inspired by watch knowing you, watching your stories, and I was like, that tip. Yeah, you 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 influence the tip. Just so you know, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think it's great, and I think what you do is amazing. So, tell me how you got started in storytelling, and why why the food world. Well, my series launched in the fall of 2009, but what a lot of people don't know is I had been telling food stories, um, I guess, all the way since 2003 when I was a reporter out in the Hamptons. And I, yeah, I started as a TV reporter for a small market TV station called Plum TV in the Hamptons. I remember Plum TV. Yeah, yeah, they were great. Mm -hmm. They... I was their first hired reporter, and they asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, I'd love to cover surfing, the nightlife, and food. And they're like, great, we don't have anyone doing any of those, so go for it. And I basically didn't know what I wanted to do out there, and I saw that there were tons of farms, and I'd never been on farms before, so I just started taking my camera around that was assigned to me and just started waking up with the farmers and asking if I could come harvest produce with them and I just fell in love with the land and that's where my love of food storytelling began that's that's awesome I had no idea that was how it started and uh yeah so when like food curated when when I got the idea for food curated um I was it was back in 2008 and I was looking around at all the video content because video content was starting to get really big for food back in 07, 08, mm-hmm. and no one was doing the style I was doing out, out there, which was a documentary style, really digging deep, going for intimate stories where you let the people actually be themselves and not focus as much on the food than on like the people and their stories, and no one was really doing it. So when I launched my series, I got really lucky that I was really one of the first ones in doing this format and this style you know, on a normal basis um, on the internet. Yeah, your style is great because you you're telling the story of people. I mean, it was I had a meeting with someone yesterday, and I was telling them someone was coming on my show who does those videos in the food world, and they were like, "Oh, they go in, they pan the restaurant, they show the space." I was like, "Oh no, no, <laughs> that that's awesome, but this this is totally different. This is this is about the people, and you're you really get." their story behind it and their passion for why they do what they do. Yeah, I mean, my, I, I love telling people that my inspiration is This American Life. It's my favorite storytelling series. And I really wanted to do something like that, but in video and covering the food world. Because I just love how This American Life really focuses mm-hmm. on all these quirky things about people that usually get thrown away on the editing floor. And I wanted to bring those quirks to life. You know, like when, if people mess up on my video, like for me, like that's just the human part of them. And for me, like it's so much fun to show like the side laughs or the side jokes or the little stories that weren't even part of my focus of being there, but it just makes them so much more real, you know, brings them to life. And I love that. Yeah. Genuine, right? Yeah, totally. So how do you find now the people that you're covering? Like, how do you go about, what's the process? Are you given Um, referrals or is it just your own research? 
Uh, I get a lot of referrals, but the fun for me is the hunt for the story. So I get emails all the time, and on my website you can submit me your ideas, and sometimes I'll go through that and actually find things that I've never heard of before. But mostly I depend on my curiosity a lot to drive my storytelling. If it's, you know, I just feel like finding really good vegetarian Indian food, and then it ends up, I end up on a search or talking to a lot of people and then end up somehow in New Jersey you know, on this little street and uh, eating some of the best vegetarian Indian food I've ever had, and I want to do a story on them now. Or if it's, I've never seen ostriches being raised, and I just found a farm in New Jersey, you know, that raises ostriches for the New York tri-state market, and I want to go there because I just want to see it. So I, I'm just very curious about how food gets on our plate, and my curiosity to understand it is everything I'm sharing on my series. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Natural <laughs> curiosity. And what have been some of your favorite or most memorable stories you've, you've worked on? Well, recently I did this story on um, Razza Pizza Artigianale in um, Jersey City, New Jersey, and it's this amazing bread and butter maker. I watched that video. Oh, you did? Well, it's also your partnership with the New York Times, which is huge. (laughs) Yeah, well, that that helped out a lot as well, um, getting the story out there. But that was just an amazing story because I had forgotten that bread and butter, that that it was something I should even care about. Mm -hmm. And here I am sitting down at this restaurant and get this beautiful plate of bread and butter. And the chef comes over... You know, and he doesn't really know who I am. And he was just like, oh, you're going to really love this. And he just wanted to tell me about the farm and wanted to tell me about his process. And I was just like, that's when you know when something's special, when someone wants to, like, educate you. And so Mm -hmm. it was beautiful to film his story because he was really passionate and really um, dedicated to making the best bread and butter dish you'll ever eat. And it seriously was the best bread and butter I've ever had. Wow. It was, I was amazed, yeah, by the title, knowing it was about bread and butter, and and you made it sound so, I mean, I wanted it, you know, like you you drew me in by a very simple product. Yeah, but, it worked. Yeah, yeah, it did work. <laughs> it did work. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, the butter's tangy. It's just, unlike any butter I've ever had, just because he ferments his butter, and, you know, the care he takes into making his bread. And, you know, the rye he puts it into and the, the different kinds of flowers just make it sing. And he, like, brought me right to the ovens as he was taking the bread out. And he was like, listen to that, Liza. Can you hear it? And I was like, what? And he's like, the bread, it's singing. And he was so, it uh, gave me chills because he was just so excited to share that moment with me because that's his joy every day, you know. So that was my recent, like, really, really cool story I got to tell. There's a there's a lot of others that are in the can. I probably have six or seven stories that I've filmed over the last month and a half that I'm now editing. Um, right now, I'm working on all the Vendi Ward finalist videos. Ah, oh, neat. Um, but another fun story that I um, did not long ago. Gosh, I have to. I mean, there. It's hard to pick a favorite because I I feel so connected to a lot of the people I get to do stories on. Um, but yeah, the bread and butter really fascinated me. And then the Mandarin's tea room. Oh, I haven't that was seen so that cool. one. Yeah, that was, it's a secret tea parlor 
in Soho, like hidden in Soho. I've read about it. But the tea master who refuses to be called a tea master. And he just schooled me on the beauty of everything I was missing out on when it comes to tea. And like he is adamant to tell you chamomile is not tea. Jasmine tea is not, you know, like these things you think tea are are not tea. He's like, let's let's get serious now. I'm going to show you what tea can really do for you. Like he has a tea that will shut you up. He says when <laughs> when there's a loudmouth guy that walks into his tea th- his his tea room and he just like doesn't want to deal with his personality, he gives them this tea and it shuts them up. That is, <laughs> he's so like, funny. there's a tea for everything, and it's just so fun to learn. Like that's why I tell these stories is I get to like explore the city, explore mm-hmm. you know different parts of the tri-state area for now i'd love to expand that but i just get to learn and have fun and share that with everybody i love it i have to go to this tea tea spot immediately (laughs) yes what um what so the process how i mean how long does it take you so you film several and then you edit later yeah well i guess it it, (laughs) did i did i get it right (laughs) kind of sort of i film you know it kind of depends on um kind of the mood I'm in but a lot of times it takes me a day to film um usually around seven hours spending with each artist and to film everything I need to put their story together and then sometimes I go back a second day but then the edit takes me about a three or four day process depending on how hard or easy their story is I would think the edit is really difficult because you have probably have so much amazing content you have to you have to slice it down into a story that's going to make sense and, and yet capture all of it. Yeah, that's the hardest part is taking the five hours of footage and being like, what are my favorite seven minutes of this five hours that, I, that I'm going to like like make magic and make you fall in love with this person? Like how? How am I going to tell this story? I, I trust my instincts a lot with um, the journey I take you on in the story because when I'm sitting in the edit, things just pop at me. And, like, I can see when I'm smiling when I'm watching the video back and I'll save those moments. Or, you know, you can you can just tell when... Also, when you're interviewing some someone, when something just comes out of your mouth, their mouth and you're just like, that's it. That's their whole philosophy right there. Like, I, I can start with that. I know I'm going to end on this. Um, but sometimes stories will take me two weeks because I can't figure out how to, how to make someone someone's story start and finish in the right way so sometimes i'm taking taken on these endless loops where i get frustrated i'm like sitting there not sleeping not being able to figure out how to you know turn the story around so a lot of people think i just sit down and bang them out but sometimes it's not that way no i wouldn't think that because i i would compare it to writing where sometimes you have because i find that sometimes i think of a thought even when i'm lying in bed and i have to jot it down because i don't want to forget it and i think some people they i think everyone has their own process of how they they go about writing or editing and sometimes the thoughts you know sometimes you have to be in the right moment oh definitely yeah in the right mood Mm -hmm. um i when i'm i've i learned over the last two years that when i'm sad i'm not good at telling stories (laughs) because i want my stories to be happy you're sad you're always (laughs) smiling and happy i know right yeah right (laughs) But, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a fun and grueling process, but it's always so rewarding because these little these things, these videos I make are my art and they're my gift to the person. So it's fun to be like, 
like the the day that comes I get to deliver this gift to the artisan and show them how special they are means so much to me and just to hear their reaction to it is like the best part of it all Um, because a lot of people a lot of artisans a lot of people that make food they're just at it every day they don't see the beauty in it Mm because they're just in it and so to show people that their environment is cool that what they do is so cool and special um, and to share that is um, I, I really couldn't think of a better job It's wonderful. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a break here, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Liza DeGia of Food Curated. We're talking about her fabulous storytelling. So I wanted to see how your NYC media relationship came about, and then and then you moved with the New York Times. I mean, have you had that was a new, these are new partnerships? I mean, when you first started, you were totally on your own, right? Yeah, when I first started, I was completely on my own, and I w- what happened was I launched my series in the fall of '09, like I said, and then within a year I had a TV show. And the funny thing was, is in my business plan, well, like uh, I bullet pointed, oh, in ten years I'd love a TV show. So for it to happen in one year was like I, was the greatest gift I could ever think about because I I didn't even I thought that was a pipe dream, you know. So. That was that's just been a beautiful partnership, um, being able to tell the stories um, just of the local artisans here on local TV is so great because I guess the artisans not only get such great um, feedback and new customers from it, but I get a lot of like I get a lot of fans and, and supporters from it as well. I love it when I go to Channel 25, I believe, and there you are. I know. Like, <laughs> good for NYC TV for believing in documentaries. <laughs> yeah. The Food Network, uh, you know, I talked with them in the Cooking Channel, and they just weren't into documentaries. So, thank goodness, local TV is into stuff like that. Because, like, these are special, you know? They're, they're, I think there's, it's really good food content, you know? And it is. It belongs anywhere. I mean, it is. I watched your video you had with uh, Luke's Lobster, place I've been to, been a fan. You know, I've read lots of articles on it, seen reviews. And then I watched your video and it gave me a whole different perspective and appreciation for what they do. Yeah, because no one goes into their facility and sees how many millions of pounds of lobster they go through. And then 
you know, the quality of staff you need to be able to have that much lobster meat on hand to service, like, not only your restaurant but food trucks. I mean, it's this massive operation up in Maine that no one gets to see. So how cool is it that I get invited at 5 in the morning (laughs) to don on all the gear and, like, go in these freezing rooms and see how lobsters are taken apart in less than a minute? It's amazing, you know. It's yeah. just it, it was it's wild and and fun to see, um, but yeah, like the New York Times, uh, that's a new partnership that started in March, and I was just very lucky to get a phone call one day over the winter time, and uh, it was just their editorial team and business staff, and they're like, "We have a proposition for you. Would you like to come in?" And I was like, me? <laughs> I was like, what? Um, so I ended up in their offices, and they said that, you know, they they would love to collaborate with me on getting some real stories um, from real places onto onto their online sections because, you know, they do a lot of shoots internally, and they just wanted to show more of the world and more of what's happening out in New York, and they knew that, you know, the quality of work that I do kind of matched what they needed. So mm-hmm. it's been a beautiful partnership. Yeah, I would say so. Now, do they give you assignments now or are they still going off your, what inspires you? <laughs> they go, um, I would say right now, 100% off of what inspires me. That's and, awesome. <laughs> but I just sat down with them recently because like, I love people. Like uh-huh. I don't, I want to collaborate because I don't want to work alone. You know, a lot of my work is working alone. And so to collaborate with people that I actually um, have a lot of respect for um, is a great opportunity for me. So right now we're working together to look at future stories. And and so we both put our list together, like what are our favorite vendors or what are some of our favorite restaurants and and match them up. So it's going to be more of a collaborative process for maybe some of the next stories. Yeah, that's that is cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to work it. So I love it, and I mean, you're—I I mean, I can see you're talented, and I—I'm, I, and you're so genuinely nice that I'm, it's nice that this is happening <laughs> happening to you quickly. You know, Aww, these thanks. these relationships. So um, I wanted to see now. Tracy Newport was my guest last week. And he's the director of marketing and partner of the Marriott Restaurant Group. He's also the chairman of NYC and Company Restaurant Committee. And I asked him to ask you a question. So his question was, other than the luminaries you've already covered, who would you love to do a story on? Well, there is this um, hot sauce maker in Asbury Park, New Jersey, that I've been after since 2010. Wow. And he has given me the runaround. And I am dying to tell his story because his piri-piri sauce is like one of the best hot sauces I've ever had. It's great on pizza, eggs, chicken. And it's just, it's a hot sauce, but it has such a meaty flavor without there being meat to it. And there's so much depth to it. And I've been chasing him. And he always like reels me in so close and I, I get like a yes and a go ahead and then I'll cancel last minute. So ah. he just makes this beautiful sauce that I think everyone needs to try. And I would love, uh, as far as like in the remote area, I would love to film with him. I'm sold on it. Where do I get it? <laughs> um, you can get it. At, I've, I have seen it sometimes at Bedford Cheese Shop and that's the only other place. If not, you can always go to right? Asbury Park 
in New Jersey and mm-hmm. find it on the boardwalk there. Oh, neat. Yeah, but that's the one that's always gotten away. <laughs> I just want to know. You just want the secret. This, what's the secret sauce? Yeah, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> okay, well, I wish you luck. <laughs> I do not have any connection out, out there to help you, but um, I'm sure you'll get it. Maybe someone listening will be able to help me. Maybe he's listening. And maybe he's listening. <laughs> yes, maybe he's listening. <laughs> or maybe not. But <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. I hope that happens. But it's called Mazi Piri Piri Sauce. Aha. Uh-huh. Look for it. I will look for it. I like Bedford Cheese Shop. Oh, I love it there. They do great stuff. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so I, you did a TED Talk of TEDx Brooklyn. Now, I watched your talk. I was so, so impressed. You were excellent. So how'd that come about, and what was that experience like? Well, first off, thank you so much. I I look back at, you know, last December before I gave that talk, and, you know, I just had landed back from Asia, and I had three weeks to prepare, and I was so nervous, I just cleared my whole calendar out and was like, I am just going to focus on this TED Talk for three weeks. And I've never been through such a grueling experience of like self-doubt, of questioning myself, of of like considering not even giving the talk because I didn't think like what I was writing was good enough. Because <laughs> like I've never yeah. had to tell mm-hmm. my story in that way before. Yeah, no, you know. So then I, I really I... commiserated with a lot of my subjects who like come to me really nervous. Like I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm on camera with you. Now you really understood how nervous you can get telling your story. But um. Yeah, it was it was a lot of preparation, but a lot of soul searching and a lot of like really understanding my whole philosophy on why I love to tell stories and that human factor and that making that real connection with someone, you know, and um, because it's really hard. What I what I do is really hard, like getting people to open up isn't isn't easy. Oh, no, it's not at all. No. And. You know, like, people really have to trust you to tell you the good stories. Because everyone has their marketing pitches, you know? Like, I'll sit down with everyone. They always start with their marketing pitches. But, like, I don't want that. Like, I want I want the real story. I want the story that you just don't have time to tell someone. Because, like, I will wait there. If I have to spend extra time at a place with someone because I have to wait for the good stuff to come out, I don't mind because I'm not – I don't rush anybody, you know? So – it's it's it was nice to understand that like trust is really important with me with people developing trust with someone and the fact that you know like I think anyone is a beautiful subject matter for a story you know and and it's I would tell a story on anyone and that's just the truth I love people that much like I would tell a story on anyone and I will find what it is that moves you but what's what's really cool about food is like it, it is like I talk in, in the TED talk that it is my skeleton key mm-hmm. that allows me into all these doors and buildings and farms and secret shops. So I get to have my adventure um, through food. And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's really cool to share that. <laughs> yeah. It's- I don't know what like what came out um, to you. All of that did. I think that being sharing your story, like how you get someone to trust you. And you also, I think, said something about food being universal and that it, it connects us all. And it's something we can all relate to. And 
I find that even with doing mostly restaurant PR, that it's very easy to talk about what I do for a living because everyone eats and everyone has an opinion about food and restaurants. And so people, you know, it's easy to, to, to talk about, you know, restaurants and food. And that's, I, but I think it's still getting, make, letting, allowing people to open up and sharing a part of your story so they feel more comfortable sharing their story. I think that was like the key message I got across. Yeah, like that was my big takeaway as well. Like I didn't realize how much of myself I had to give in order for the person sitting across from me to feel safe enough to open up, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was just doing it, but I didn't realize that was such an important part of the process every time, you know, because like in my job, I just, you know, I do so many stories all the time. I just go, you know, we're talking about this. We just operate, but to, to take apart what I do and understand the whole method of my storytelling was really fascinating process. Yeah. We're similar that way. We both, we both just go and we both are, I say a one-woman show. You said like a one-woman machine or something. (laughs) Storytelling machine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we have that in common too. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, we're going to take another break here and we're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Liza DeGia, and it is time for my speed round game. I'm very nervous. You should not be nervous. <laughs> this is an easy... Very f- competitive at a game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about my game is everyone wins. <laughs> no losers. Oh, good. It's good knowing that going in. Yes, yes. So I'm going to name two things, and you just pick your preference. That's it. Okay. Such as chocolate or vanilla. Vanilla. Okay. See? Easy. That was easy. All but right. now I'm second guessing, maybe I should have picked chocolate. No, no, you got to just too. go with your gut. Go with <laughs> your gut. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. You're very good at this game. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Filming or editing? Filming. That's a hard one. I figured that was a hard one. Filming. For sure. Okay. How about 
See, I would do, for me, I think it would be editing. But then again, I'm, I don't do what you do. So it would all be hard. <laughs> Why don't you hang out with me editing and then, and then make a decision? Okay. Okay. We got a date. Okay. A couple more. Being on camera or being behind the scenes? Being behind the scenes. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Done. That was Very easy. good. I told you it was easy. Good. I, I play games well. You do. I pat myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever stump people? Yeah. People, people know, though, don't they? No, you did. You were doing really good. A lot of times people just get stuck and they, it turns into a conversation. Oh, okay. Now what are we going to do then? We have all this time to kill because we had no conversation there. Well, we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk industry news. How about oh, that? Oh, great! That sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the um, and in that the speed round supposed to be fast. Okay, so you did it right. So I did. Get, I got yeah. an A plus. A plus. A plus plus. Okay, so okay. One of the articles, <laughs> New York Magazine, Grub Street had about about Open Table, how they're now you can pay on your phone with. Their app, the article is called Get Ready to Pay for Restaurant Meals with Your Phone. It was by Hugh Merwin. And actually, this this is already started. There's Cover. There's a few other apps that you have that you can download. And at the restaurant, you pay without having to talk to your server. And you just get up and leave. And it's um, it's seamless. It is seamless. And I think for... The part of the world that's turning into robots, it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I choose to deal with humans. I mean, like, I understand that this is happening. I mean, Uber is getting Mm -hmm. really popular as as well as the the other taxi cab apps where you just go in and you're, you're already paid for. I mean, everyone wants convenience. But I don't know. Like, I... I love service in a restaurant, and I like dealing with the people, and I like knowing who my waiter is. So I think it's kind of rude to to just think you can't spend those extra five minutes to just sign your check. Yeah, I I I, I feel you. I feel for me. I'm I see both sides to it. Like this that 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 side for sure. That I think that's a part of the service and the hospitality and the experience that you know work that why we're you're in a restaurant to. and. And then the other side is the convenience. And I, I think it might depend on the type of restaurant for me. Like what type would you? Like a more fast casual or some, I don't know, you know, where where you're not, the but, hospitality isn't a big Yeah, but the funny thing is on that list, it's a lot of high-end restaurants. Yeah, it is. That's what was surprising to me because I thought it would be more fast casual. But that wasn't the case from the list. Yeah, and I think I would also feel weird kind of getting up and just walking out the door. I mean, maybe if this becomes very common then i won't but i don't i don't know i'm kind of mixed about it yeah i mean i guess i'm gonna try to put myself in the shoes of it and and understand maybe for anti-social people like this is a really (laughs) nice thing like they feel blessed that this is actually finally happening (laughs) for them but to be honest like if if you can't sit at a restaurant and wait the extra few minutes with whoever you're dining with to just sign the check with the waiter like i feel sorry for you You know, but I understand. I understand that, you know, the culture of food is changing. Everything's going electronic. But it's just sad when you see that this is our future. Yeah. Well, and that open table is doing it is huge. You know, that's 
And they, I think they said they already have 45 restaurants signed up in, in New York alone. Yeah. So, well, we'll see where it's a this sad goes day. next. It's sad, a sad day. Okay. Sad day. Well, ha- <laughs> how about a happy day for Tijal Rayo, who was formerly the restaurant critic at the Village Voice. And they let her and some other people go last year. Well, now it was just announced that she is going to be the new restaurant reviewer for Bloomberg, replacing Ryan Sutton, who is now at Eater. And this was on Eater, by the way. And um, I think that's cool. I mean, Tajal is, I, I, I think she's a great restaurant reviewer. I've enjoyed reading her. Um, it's a female restaurant reviewer, which we do not have many of. Yeah, I met her briefly at the James Beard Awards a couple years back. And she's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that, uh, you know, there's going to be a nice female voice out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I I can't say that I've read everything that she's reviewed or that Ryan's reviewed. or You know, I'm, I, I will say either. I'm not up to date on all the critics' reviews because that's not where I get my advice for where to eat. <laughs> so um, I, I love some of their writing, but um, when I try to think about where I want to eat, I call all my friends that know what kinds of foods I like, and they are such... They've eaten everywhere in New York. They tell me where to go, yeah, I and I usually ask, listen to them. Yeah, I was going to ask you where you where you got your advice. I tend to rely on – I read – I definitely read the restaurant reviews, and especially, you know, compared for what I do for a living as well. But I, I think I rely mostly on industry friends and colleagues and – Exactly. Like when yeah. someone calls you up and they're just like, oh, my goodness, you have to eat here. Mm-hmm. I know – I better drop everything and go eat there because <laughs> they wouldn't like right. my friend wouldn't tell me that unless like they had something incredible and I can usually trust them over everybody else, you know, and that's where I get all the secret spots from anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start calling you more. <laughs> you should. <laughs> okay. So another article in the New York post yesterday, Condé Nast spins off lucky magazine folds epicurious.com into Bon Appetit. And the more relevant part of that to us is this merger of Epicurious.com and Bon Appetit's online uh, presence. And, you know, they're both, they're all Condé Nast, but I just thought it was, you know, it was a, a big decision that they made to do that. And I also thought it was interesting. And Nilu Mat- Matamed, who used to be at Travel and Leisure, and she went to Epicurious as their editor-in-chief. And now she will be reporting to Ab- Adam Rapport at Bon Appetit. And but they're just, they're still keeping their names separate, right? Or is it all going to be Bon Appetit? That's a good question. Because I know it said that they're sharing their marketing teams and their sales yeah. force, but... I... Got the I. I think it's going to be called Epicurious. I think they're. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I all, mean, I, all I know is question. I understand why this is happening because, you know, like in this day and age, you know, you it, it's hard to justify spending money in old, like ways of uh, of media when social media is free, you know, and brands are focusing differently on how they want to pitch themselves and, and be, you know, be real and get their voice out there and get their brand out there. So it's harder to make those decisions to buy the old media. Mm -hmm. So the old media companies, I think, have to become bigger and have to become more lucrative and have to become more appealing, which is why I understand 
why they want to like merge right you know, to so that they're so it's easier to sell like we we have this many people now because we've merged yeah you know, that no. that'll make more sense for a brand you know if not they're just going to go to the new media I I think you're right. And I I was going to say also, Matt Ducker, who was at Bon Appetit, went to Epicurious, and now that's under the same umbrella. And that was what I was curious about, if Matt and them knew before that this was going to happen. I wonder. Yeah, that was was my big, (laughs) like, because I thought it was interesting, Matt, left Bon Appetit. I mean, I think, yeah, you it's know, like, why would you leave Bon Appetit? Well, Not that well, Epicurea I mean, is bad. Like, Epicurea is great, too. Exactly. But now it's, they're under one umbrella. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. If Matt, you're listening, let us know. <laughs> call, please call in. <laughs> um, but but it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And we'll have to see what the title is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, I'm getting approached by a lot more old media i call magazines old media i don't know why but uh because they're now interested in video like in Mm and doing different kinds of video and so i'm getting approached a lot more by people who want to do collaborations and partnerships or build their video inventory like new york times case in point um but uh yeah so it'll be interesting how they move forward you know how they really um get through because like they had to fold lucky Ma- and like the part of that mm-hmm. is they folded right. lucky magazine which was one of the biggest fashion magazines you know yeah. so they think know, they're you- making it they said into an e-commerce site so they're yeah. changing direction yeah but like that just shows you like magazines like are are you know getting smaller and smaller so yeah well people don't i think most people don't want print to die but it's, I don't. I yeah. love print. Even New York Magazine went to bi-weekly. You know, it's, yeah. things have changed. Yeah, you have to adapt. Yeah, you do. So we'll see what happens. I just want to give a thanks to Peter Henry and Leila Kabiri, who write and edit the column on Eater, Five Things You Missed on Heritage Radio Network, because my show last week with Tracy Nieport was one of the five. <gasps> wow, so, congratulations. So, thank you. I'm always <laughs> excited to be in that column. It makes me, makes me feel really, really good. So thank you. Okay, we're going to take one more break, and we're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience, and then we'll have the final question. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. Summer dress. I'll kid she doesn't need your help. She studied art in Spain. Tall boys across her brain. Yeah, tall boys, men, they'll do anything. They sat her in the shade, threw her up a rain. All lined up, marching back and forth all day. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, now this week I went to a new West Village restaurant called Blenheim. It's on the corner of West 12th and West 4th Street. And it's named after a sustainable farm they have in the Catskills, Blenheim Hill Farm is the name. And the chef there is Ryan Tate. He's formerly of 
All Good Things Gourmet Market and Le Restaurant in Tribeca. He also worked at Savoy for many years. And this is a very ingredient-driven menu, and they're sourcing a lot of things from the farm and then local purveyors. So I went in. I wasn't that hungry. Um, I was looking really for a light bite. But I liked the space. It was quaint. It was modern yet casual. And at the bar, they had the most comfortable seats, really. They were very cushiony with little backs. So it was a very comfortable place to, to have a meal. And I noticed on a lot of menus and at this place that they have more interesting non-alcoholic drinks on the menu. And I, I had one. I had the Lavage Lime Cooler. And uh, it was it was lovely. It was Lavage Syrup Lime and Brooklyn Seltzer. And then they have a choice between a la carte and tasting menu. And because I was just looking for something small, I did a la carte. I had the Sockeye Salmon, which had came with sea buckthorn cloud and crisps crisps of course i had to look that up basically they're sea berries which still i would like to look up sea berries it doesn't help me that much but anyways it was it was very good um and that's all i had they also sent out an amuse of very fresh tomatoes that came from the farm i would certainly go back and try more things and actually today in the daily news they got a glowing review from stan Sagner, uh, four out of five stars. Uh, he called it a farm-to-table gem. So uh, congratulations to them. And if anybody wants to check it out, it's BlenheimHill.com. That's her website. So cool. 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 I am actually going to be visiting their farm very soon. Are you? Just to check it out, not to film. But uh-huh. who knows what it might lead to. I've, I've read good things, and I know Chef Ryan Tate quite well from filming with him at Savoy. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I don't I don't know him, but um I've always heard great things about his cooking and uh yeah, this place is I think going to do well. A nice new West Village spot. So, great. Cool. You have to tell me how the farm is. <laughs> okay, so it's time for the final question. Now, Liza, I wanted to see if you Does everyone win? Everyone win the final question? <laughs> everyone wins. <laughs> okay, I'll be okay. Well, we'll see what your question is. So my next week I'm having on uh, Rita Jamay from La Caraval Champagne. She's also the president and founder of Boquette Ventures Hospitality and Consulting. And, of course, everyone knows her from La Caraval Restaurant. And Rita is amazing. So I'm super excited she's coming on the show. Now, question. Question. What would you like to ask her? Hmm... That's hard. Now you've stumped me. I've stumped you. <laughs> um, I would like to know where her favorite Michelin star restaurant is that she's ever eaten at in the whole entire world. I'd like to know that, too. Great. I'm sure she's eaten at... I mean, she has eaten a lot of And she probably places. eats at all of them. Yeah. No, that's But that's I would like to awesome. know her number one favorite. Okay, I will ask Rita. Thank you. And thank you for coming out here. We're at the end of the show. So this has been fabulous. I'm sad it went by so fast. Yeah, that's what they all say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my guest today has been Liza DeGia. She's the founder and chief storyteller of Food Curated. And her website is foodcurated.com. And her Twitter handle is SkeeterNYC. I don't know if we have time for the answer behind SkeeterNYC, the name Skeeter. But quickly, is that... Is that just a nickname? No, that's my middle name is Mosquito. Liza Mosquito de Guia. And it's from my mom's maiden name. 
And I was very embarrassed about it when I was a little kid. And then um, all of a sudden when I was in high school and on a volleyball team, they started calling me Skeeter. And I loved it. And I wasn't embarrassed about it anymore. And I, it's just m- my nickname now. Oh, I'm so, so glad I asked. That's why. Awesome story. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming out here today. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Now, anyone looking for me on social media, I'm at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. If you miss this live broadcast, you can always find us archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack. Thanks to Liza and all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 for another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. Till then, have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.